everyone, my name is Reba Thalam and welcome to this edition of the D-Suite. And today's show will be focusing on a topic that quite honestly has fallen a little bit under the radar in all of the generative AI hype, and that is data. We'll be talking to our data management expert, Roxanne Adijlali, on the impact of large language models for data management and what she's seeing from vendors and end users in the space. Yes, and in our third segment, we will be talking to Alex Bates, the Managing Director for Data Insights at Page Group. And we know a lot of you have been asking about real use cases, tangible implementations that companies have actually done. And Alex will be talking about this and talking about the role that data played in making better success at his organization. Yeah, so let's get started. And Afraz, one of the talking points that comes up a lot in our discussions uh, with our clients, and also one of the biggest myths we hear on generative AI and large language models in particular, is that now we don't need to worry about data. We can just use these LLMs to have conversational experiences with our databases, our documents, or anything we can point them at, and we'll just get instant responses. So in effect, negating the need for really curating, governing, structure, structuring, enriching data that many organizations have invested millions in for years. Now, in reality, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Data and good quality data at that is not only the fuel for the training of generative AI models that we use today, but it's also a necessity if people want to get value out of using these models on their own enterprise data. That's so true, and I've had those very same conversations as well myself. And so one interesting observation on this was from a paper that Microsoft recently published, which was titled, Textbooks are all you need. And in that they were stressing the importance of quality data for training an LLM. And the LLM they trained only had one and a half billion parameters, which is tiny by other standards. But what they found was it had very good performance that in some cases was on par with some of those larger models. And what they said there was the creation of a robust and comprehensive data set is more than just computational power. You need integrate iteration, strategic topic selection, deep understanding of knowledge gaps to ensure quality and diversity of the data. Now, those are principles that don't just apply to training a foundation model, but they apply to any sort of task you're doing in your data management environment. Using language models, fine-tuning, or otherwise, downstream tasks for analytics also need to have or apply to the same principles. Exactly. And the rewards that people will get from their data management, from their metadata management, and data governance initiatives will definitely pay off particularly when uh, using large language models with your own enterprise data. For example, current re uh, retrieval, augmented generation, or RAG techniques and use cases use large language models, um, require accurate search and retrieval processes across document collections so that the prompt can be grounded to your information. But if you have use cases where you have specific domain terminology or terms, that have a meaning in a particular context, then this needs to inform the type of embedding model you use and the terminology should be captured in a data dictionary in your taxonomy or knowledge graph. So not only that, but metadata should be used 
along with the actual data to provide more accurate results and to lower the amount of text needed for grounding, which in turn lowers cost. So having a mix of approaches will work best, but only when you fully understand the data that you're dealing with. So absolutely right, Risa. And if you look at the context that needs to be provided to these language models, which we see when applications like Microsoft 365 Copilots and other types of Copilots being produced by other vendors as well, you'll find that they have not just the LLM working with the data, but they also add context. Absolutely. And finally, we've mentioned this before, but data quality really becomes an imperative. Uh, if your data isn't ready for AI, your organization isn't ready for AI, including generative AI. Uh, now, we have some great recently published research on the role of large language models for data quality validation and improvement. But if you're looking to fine tune a model and you need high quality labeled and managed data sets, one misconception we hear all the time is that you can simply throw or dump all of your data into an LLM and poof, magically you have your own specific model. But in reality, you'll likely have many small fine-tuned models that are task-specific. Some might be domain-specific working with larger models. And creating this type of architecture does really rely on making sure your data foundations are in place and we'll hear that in a bit from Alex Bates at Page Group. He's really done an excellent job at creating a data foundation that he's now leveraging into all of his analytics programs, including AI and generative AI. In fact, generative AI applications are the perfect use cases for data fabric-based design. So, Alfred, to summarize, what should data and analytics leaders be doing to get their data in order to benefit from generative AI? Yes, Risa, definitely agree. It's not magic at all. So what data analytics leaders need to do is invest in those initiatives that are maturing data management and governance practices, including focusing on business-driven outcomes, data quality measurement, as you just mentioned, creating rich data models with semantics, building in knowledge graphs into your data management estate, capturing metadata, using the data fabric to look at your supply or your actual uses and expected usage, and look for the gaps between them. And our analysts will be happy to take on, talk to you on any of those topics for the discussion. So now to learn more about AI-ready data, let's turn to Roxanne and Dijlali, Senior Director Analyst who focuses on data management here at Gartner. Now, Roxanne has been researching the impact that generative AI will have on data management. So welcome to the D-Suite, Roxanne. Thank you. So let me ask you this, what do you predict will be the impact of generative AI on data management and really how should our data and analytics leaders prepare for this impact? Well, so first of all, you know, thank you so much for having me. And you both have already provided us you know, with such a great number of interesting insights. We are certainly seeing a lot of that happening, a lot of interest, growing number of inquiries among our clients, uh, asking about you know how to apply or how generative AI will apply to data management. Well, we are going to see some tactical changes first. Obviously, we can expect generative AI 
to change a certain number of capabilities or augment capabilities among all of the data management use cases, such as obviously natural language query generation, natural language for discovery, um, interacting with natural language with a data catalog, um, using natural language to create data pipelines. All of those capabilities are going to augment existing data management tools, but aren't going to be fundamentally changing the way we do data management. The part that really is exciting to me is what will be transformative. And what will be transformative is that we can expect to see natural language become the data language. And that that is going to have a huge impact. So this could definitely help overcome the skills gap that we've all been seeing, right? And across data, across analytics, we're interacting with data, finally. So what we what all of this is going to become possible as we see retrieval augmented generation, uh, local large language model being trained on enterprise data and metadata, as we just discussed it before. But of course, you know, it's not a magic wand and, you know, that does not come without a risk. Um, what we can certainly expect is that first, we will need very rich metadata and knowledge graph, like we discussed it, to be able to provide the rich context to reduce the risk of query generation or code generation errors and reduce hallucinations. So that assumes already a very rich data management practice. Second, we are going to need to ensure that we can apply data governance and security. So even sharing metadata with a third-party LLM can be an issue because all of a sudden, they actually know you have that data. So talking about, you know, for example, health data, our healthcare providers, they can know that they have, you know, other can know that there is data on this particular topic that exists. So that's the first thing. But then even more importantly, we need to also prevent and, uh, and plan for security. Um, you know, considerations like self-harm or abuse detection the first thing that, you know, certainly we all need to be aware of is that this all starts with a very strong data management practice based on a data fabric design. But along the way, we're going to need to develop new skills. And in particular, among our data management experts, like data architects, data engineers, but even for all of us, data consumers, just like we're going to have to be able to detect if an image has been artificially generated and should not be trusted, we will need to decide if we can trust the output of the large language model. Thanks so much, Roxanne, for those insights. Really, really valuable. Um, I wonder if you can just go more into detail on uh, something you touched on there, which was the impact on the market for um, LLMs in the data management space and what do you think uh, the implications of that will be and what recommendations you would give to data analytics leaders who are in this very uh, state at the moment trying to use uh, generative AI but not really sure of the, the direction to take it focus on mm. Lisa or Google in the application. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Efraz, for that. Well, well, based on everything we've said so far, you know, 
there is going to be clearly the ability to apply large language model to data management. But in the first place, it's going to be difficult to put it, you know, to apply it in the complex and often fragmented data ecosystems that we commonly see at our enterprise customers. Uh, the major reason for that is because many of our enterprise customers do not have very mature um, metadata management and data fabric practices in place. So the first, uh, I would say, um, bottleneck is going to be um, data fabric designs. And um, those are only still emerging, maybe 5 to 15% only of our enterprise customers are headed down that path already. So that's certainly going to uh, prevent some of the adoption. But what we can see and expect in the shorter term is to actually see the integration of large language models as we discuss them emerge quite rapidly uh, on single vendor solutions. Because all of a sudden, you don't really have to deal with the complexity of the overall data landscape because you are limiting yourself to whatever is actually under the management of that single vendor. So the data, the metadata, all of that being managed by that single vendor, they are all actually brand building and, and collecting, cataloging all of this metadata. So we already have a lot of the basic capabilities and knowledge graph underpinning it on that narrower scope. So we can certainly expect to see quite rapid uh, delivery of capabilities on single vendor stacks, and we're already seeing those emerge. You know, start talking with the vendors in your data ecosystem and ask them to show you what they're bringing to market, experiment with that. That could also be a really great place to start building skills among your data management specialists and uh, and try out those new uh, generative AI-enabled capabilities that are coming to market. So, yeah, plenty to, to try out already. So thank you, Roxanne. That is just great insight, very actionable for our listeners. So thank you for joining us on the D-Suite. Well, thank you. Next up on the D-Suite is Alex Bates. He's Managing Director of Data Insights at Page Group. He'll share an incredibly successful and core to the business generative AI use case that he and his team at Page Group have managed to deliver. But more importantly, he'll share with us how he did this with some best practices that you may not have thought about, including the main topic of the D-Suite today, the importance of AI-ready data. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the D-Suite. Hi, Risa. Hi, Fraz. Hi, so can you tell us a bit about uh, PageGroup itself and then go into the, the details on your generative AI use case um, and then maybe explain a little bit about you know, the impact that's had, um, you know, the reaction from your users, your recruiters have been using it. Yeah, of course. Hi. Um, so, uh, yes, PageGroup is a global recruitment business. Um, we help companies find the talent they need to be successful in 37 countries around the world, um, uh, across 25 specialist areas with 9,000 staff. Um, we, we, as a, a data program, been you know obviously playing and working with AI for a little bit of time now, um, and specifically to, to your question, I've um, done done some work recently on on Gen AI, um, which we we did with um, uh, Microsoft. 
Um, ultimately, the project we worked on was looking at how do we automate parts of the ads uh, job advert advertising process. Um, so obviously, we get a, a large number of jobs in um, on a regular basis across the organisation. Uh, we need to write specific job ads, but specifically to generate um, or, or to attract the right star, uh, the candidates. Sorry, to attract right candidates for the roles, so we can obviously to get into the businesses that need them, help place them. So the work that we did was um, uh, looking at how Gen AI could be used as part of that process. And I think probably the bit that we did quite well is we we were very ambitious to say we really don't want to say consultants do any more than capture the information for the role and we'll build off that with everything that we know we can build in best practice and uh, um, um, uh, you know any anti-bias elements that we need to do. use our taxonomies to complete that with um, the relevant skills and then get that ready to post all within less than five minutes was our kind of slightly ambitious aim, I guess. And you know, for context, it probably takes somewhere, someone about half an hour on average to write a, a job. That's a significant time saving for us to do that. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what we did. And, and we did. We ran a POC um, in, in the UK. And we ran a POC in Spain, predominantly to see, could we write it like a English person would write an advert? And could we write it like a Spanish person would write an advert as opposed to write it in English and translate it? Um, and that's that's what we did, and that's that's what's now you know moving to production, having run that as a POC for for a short amount of time. So, so that was that was that was the the, the one we did, and I think for me it was um, not really just about that process. I mean, it's a great process, probably a, probably a fairly obvious use case for us to look at. Um, I think it was a it was a it was a real lesson for us in terms of this technology and how we could um, I guess innovate with it. And I think that's the big thing for me is our, our learnings. As we went through that process, I think will help with everything else that we do and everything else that we think about. And so as much as it's a good outcome, it's been a really useful and fascinating process to go through as well. I mean, those are amazing results. What's the sort of practical implication for your job recruiters? What does it now allow them to do when they have you know, so much more time? Is it that they can go out and sell more? Can they better help candidates prepare for... Uh, job interviews. I mean, practically speaking, has this been one of the most difficult yeah. parts of their job that sort of just sucked their productivity and now you're you're liberating their time for these other high value activities? Um, in my mind, we're liberating the time. I think yeah. um, I think I think there's there's lots of bits of the uh, probably most people's roles that take a bit of time or and, and actually it, it may be time or it could be experience or knowledge. I mean, you know, not everybody's as, as knowledgeable about the roles that they need to do and so therefore there's there's research to get all those things right. Um, and and so I, I think you, you know there's definitely a time saving, obviously. We do we do thousands of adverts on, on a regular basis. And so that's by moving to half an hour to five minutes is a significant time opportunity, I guess. I think this is the interesting thing for me about um, AI and, and, and Gen AI in particular. And I think there's lots of conversations about it, um, uh, what it could do and replace the tasks. And for me, I, I, I look at it and think, you know, in, in, at its essence, what we are is very much a people business. You know, we, we our consultants are interacting with candidates and clients all the time. Um, they're, they're very, very talented at um, having the right conversations to understand what talents people really need or what skill sets people really need and, and equally talking to candidates to making sure they have the right experience but equally have the right cultural fit and they're going to be successful in the organisation. And so for me, that kind of interaction, that human interaction, clearly creating time for tasks 
that, that drain away from those conversations is important. So, yeah, I, I think it does create the opportunity for them to have more conversations and the right conversations and those interactions. And certainly when we're looking at um, really any of the programs, but certainly around AI and Gen AI, I think it, what's important to us is we don't remove that human element. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, the importance of data there and in your description as well you were talking about using taxonomies uh, getting further information on context so not just relying on the language models to give the outputs so can you talk a little bit about the foundations you put in place to be able to do that because um, i know it's not just something where you can just plug into a, a language model and suddenly everything becomes easier there's a lot of foundational work that's needed yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I think for me, this is quite an interesting area. Um, in, in, it does seem to be the forgotten part in all the things that you read about. So Gen AI and AI generally, everybody seems to have forgotten that good data is ultimately going to have an impact on the output. But yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we, we've we been through a program probably over the last four, four and a half, four, four and a half years, looking at how we take our data program forward. And there's a number of elements to it. But I think what we initially looked at was really trying to get all our core data into, into the same place, in the same structure, really focusing down on the data that matters to us, um, and building out our kind of data management program to enrich the data where we can, but equally to monitor and, and, and analyze the data that's important to us. And so, so that program has really been going on for quite a bit of time. Um, probably initially, if I'm totally honest, more around looking at how we support our, our analytics program. So you know, one of the early projects that we, we worked on was building out our core sets of analysis that we used to um, help the business um, um, understand what's going on in the business. And I think you know, that was probably the mindset initially was really how do we make sure the data that's feeding into those reports is, is trustworthy and um, of good standard and completeness. Um, and then we've really carried that on to say, actually, what, what data sets do we need to um, enhance that are going to have an impact on, on value in the organization, whether that's about reporting, whether that's about using some of our search tools or whatever it might be. And then the other part we've looked at really is um, what core data is going to be important to us in the short and long term from, from a um, uh, from an AI or an advanced analytics kind of perspective. And it's, it's evolving as technology evolves, but fundamentally it's, it's pretty structured and, and there for us. And so it really has allowed us to really move in my mind onto the next stage of some of the more, I guess, um, innovative and um, advanced areas that we're looking at. So, yeah, that foundational work took a bit of time, but timing-wise work for us, I guess, as everybody started talking about open AI. So, um, but it is just one of the, the, the projects we're running from an AI perspective. So, Alex, uh, really great insights, um, Alex. And uh, I, I took some some takeaways there, uh, which was to kind of break things down into manageable pieces or tasks before looking at a, a whole kind of process, uh, being ambitious in what you want to do, and also look at the outcome as well that you want. If people are in kind of a similar situation uh, at the moment and they're putting in place generative AI uh, use cases and implementation, what other advice or what other key advice would you give uh, to them in terms of realizing their objectives. Yeah, I, I think I think don't get sucked in by the hype a little bit is one. I think it is it is amazing technology. So I'm genuinely not saying it's not, but I think really thinking about where it adds value in your process is the really key question. I mean, it, this has got to be all about um, I guess value to the organisation. There is there is a truth around data where it's it's an expensive part of what you 
what you need as a business and to operate. And so understanding the value you can bring is, is, is probably the biggest point for me. And then um, equally not forgetting it is the foundational data that is, is going to drive the output. I mean, uh, and you, you look at it, I, I, I do some stuff. You know, I tried it myself before we did all this stuff you know, to try bits out. And it, it's amazing how often it's wrong if you're just randomly going out there and testing things. And so I think, you know, not forgetting that that kind of the foundation of it is really what you have in your data. And if you can get that bit right, then that's really going to help you accelerate forward. And and that, that's why I, what I mean about don't get suckered in by the hype, because I think people are like, right now, now I need Gen AI. And I think it's kind of what data do I need to feed those models? What's the quality of that data? Um, what's the completeness and the recency of that data? How useful is it bias? You need to have those conversations and look at that. And, and I think for, for me, when I look at the data program, what we need to do now at Page Group is we need to be thinking about the things that are going to be happening way down the line so we can start really thinking about the data that's important to us to do those things and and so so i think that 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 really is is the bit that's important to me and then ultimately have fun with it and i think that that it is fascinating how far it can go and what it what it can do once you have those kind of those um elements in place so alex thank you very much for joining us on the d-suite uh really valuable uh, great insights and tips as Rita said and we can't wait to hear more as you continue on this journey thank you thank you for having me it's been a genuine pleasure talking about it thank you yeah thank you so much